Seeking Entertainment, the 10th episode. Holy crap, I can't believe we're 10 episodes in of this amazing podcast. I am Chris Peterson. I'm one half of the amazing team on this incredible podcast. Joined with me as always is Mr. Ben Frawley. How are you, sir? What's going on, Chris? What's going on, people? We're fired up tonight. We got a ton of news to get to. Another big geek weekend. My God, just awesome. Awesome. Crazy weekend. Crazy, crazy weekend. And Ben, I can't believe that we're ten episodes in now. This is nuts. <laughs> I know it's. Uh, I, I think we're rolling. We're picking up steam. We got a lot of uh, stuff to talk about. You know, and like last week, I think you said, you know, uh, let's have this one be a little short, and we end up going another hour and a half or something like that. <laughs> <laughs> but you know what? We we'll do the reverse. We'll say this one's going to be a long episode, and then we'll yeah, just, that's you know, it. The freaking, you know, minutes. we're like Dave Chappelle, twenty four hours on a stage or something like that. <laughs> Awesome. Awesome. Well, do you want to explain to the folks at home like what this podcast is all about in case this is their first time? Of course, of course. So this is Desperately Seeking Entertainment. Uh, me and Chris got together, or Chris and I got together, and we came up with a kind of format so we could not pigeonhole ourselves into one type of entertainment because Chris and I, we love movies, music, video games, theater, uh is that it? Is that everything? Like everything. That's, that's all I mean. Yeah. Musicals and everything. <laughs> yeah, like everything, right? right. And um, so Chris and I, we bring five new stories together. We read them back to back, and the other co-host does not know what we're going to bring. So you get our live reaction on the air. And then at the end of the podcast, one of our favorite segments of all time, we go YouTubing mm-hmm. down the internet rapids, and we find out what's going on. In the world of YouTube, because everyone's canceling cable, so everyone needs to know what to watch when they're just sitting there and want ten minutes of filler before work, and they're drinking their coffee. That's that's what yeah. I, that's what I use YouTube for. So that's that's basically how we. That's what all it's good for, basically. No, <laughs> no, <laughs> right. absolutely. No, this is this is gonna be a good one because a lot of stuff is going down, and um, Ben and I just like to stay engaged. So this is one way we one way we definitely do that. So, all right, sir. Well, why don't you get things started this week? Kick things off. Give me your, your first year five. Okay. So first of my five was, um, so last weekend was a giant nerd weekend. This weekend was another giant nerd weekend because it was May the 4th be with you. Yeah. And there was tons of Star Wars stuff. The article I pulled up uh, was about the giant sales still going on on PlayStation Network and Xbox Live for all Star Wars games. Um right now so i picked up um star wars battlefront for xbox old school and star wars republic commando for xbox old school for five bucks each those are insane insanely great games i picked up battlefront for free battlefront 2 the old school one so you know how there's battlefront for xbox live or xbox Mm -hmm, uh, mm -hmm. 360 and one these are for xbox old school and they came out like 2004 2005 they are still playable, still fantastic. And when they converted them to Xbox One, um, the load times get really shorter. So it's not like the old school, you know, PlayStation 2 <laughs> load time of five minutes. These things boot up. You you save your game. You're on to the next level. So playable. It's one of the first times I remember when you could play a Star Wars game and play as a uh, Stormtrooper or Darth Vader 
or you know what I mean? Like a, a bad guy. So that was awesome. And uh, definitely go check that out. The sale ends this week. Nice. Definitely check that out. Yeah, I, I mean, I'm weird when it comes to Star Wars video games. I have not played a lot of good ones in my lifetime. Um, I just haven't been lucky. And, yeah. you know, the ba- the Battlefield games I hear are incredible. I've only played one of them briefly. Um, I have, like, I have the first Force Awakens. Didn't Never got the second one. Um, I, I do remember, what was the one on N64, which was really good? Do you remember which one that was? Star Wars. I'm going way back. Was it Star Wars, like Tie Fighter or something like that? Or it might have been the Tie Fighter. It wasn't. It certainly was not the Pod Racing game. Um, well, that was on there but, though. Uh, I was that was the first one I thought of. That was yeah. on there though. Yeah, but it, I think it's a Tie Fighter game. But I remember that one being the first one where I was like, "Holy shit, this is great! What a great experience!" And then, you know, it was a while before I found another good one. But um, yeah. yeah, well, no, and these are old school. These might have like you might have missed these because I know. You know, back in the day, like the early aughts, we all picked PlayStation or Xbox. I was an Xbox. And, yeah. yeah, I went that. Route. Okay. And these were on Xbox. And then I think Battlefront 2 came out on PlayStation 2 a little later. Mm-hmm. So these are gems. I played them. I am totally enthralled. I haven't played video games in a while. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to be honest. For like past year or so, I just haven't found something that really and these are old school games someone sure. came over like what are you playing i was like a uh, game from 15 years ago that i beat 15 years ago <laughs> <laughs> and i just couldn't put it down it's awesome I, I showed the kiddo he was like oh man this is all your darth vader it was great so go check that out while they're still on sale and while they're on xbox but uh chris the reason why i brought this article up was um i was involved in um a charity event called the Kessel Run, yeah. where we raised thirteen over thirteen hundred dollars for to Make a Wish Foundation. Amazing, totally awesome. Uh, I, I just want to thank everyone that contributed to that. And then, um, like you mentioned, um, Perez Hilton did a little video, who's a giant supporter of the cause, and so kind of raised awareness for the our our, and actually made a personal video for our charity event, not just a generic blanket statement, like and actually mentioned the second yeah he really run, he so. really went into detail about it which was awesome so yeah it's just really cool and um i guess there's a couple other celebrities so we're gonna have a couple other celebrities do uh, an announcement for us or you know there was big talk on the run this year of actually having a celebrity there whoa well you were partaking. there that's that's the celebrity oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. well of like, course you know and probably co-host of desperately seeking entertainment like that's of course <laughs> <laughs> and a bunch of people on the kessel run i, I said it, i was going to mention them and uh, a bunch of them checked out our podcast said they loved it so i think i uh you know it was good promotion because you know this this podcast is definitely specific for uh nerds you know what i mean and anyone partaking on the castle run <laughs> needs to needs to be a little nerdy <laughs> in themselves so, well what there you go what i loved and and you were you know awesome enough to post some pictures was that, like people dressed up first of all doing any any type of activity like dressed in costume over a long period of time is that's a that's a taxing thing to do so to, to all those people i think they did a guy dress up in a full chewbacca costume i think i saw like um, uh yeah yeah he must have dropped i don't even want to know how much money that costume was it was it was gorgeous <laughs> it was like full thick like thick chewbacca wookie hair and just <laughs> ridiculous and you know right by like the i don't know 12th stop he was dying but it was great because f- we we went to a couple restaurants and there was kids there so we handed out um like little uh, lightsabers for him and stuff it was great great stuff yeah great stuff and you know folks if again like that that's like you don't have to get crazy with 
things to, to raise money for charities. I mean, it can be something really simple and fun and, and just a fun activity. Um, so do it, do it, especially for places like make a wish that do amazing things for kids. Um, do it, man. Cause that's, that's awesome. So, yeah. And, we, and this was the second time we've, uh, we've done it. And our goal every year, uh, one of the guys that does it, uh, John, that he says that every year that we do it, we want to double our, you know, people's contribution and awareness. So we want to have double the people, double the amount of donations next year. So we're going to go for it. We're going to, well, we'll definitely work for it in this podcast. Absolutely. So that's, that's awesome. That's awesome. Are you going to do anything between like this year and next year? Like, is it going to be like an, like a mid season event, so so to speak? I don't know. I don't know if you don't want to uh, stretch the brand out. I think you want to get people excited for next year. But uh, one thing that they were talking about is maybe not having it the day of May the 4th, because last year was on a Friday. This year was on a Saturday. So next year will be on a Sunday or a Monday or something. I don't know how it falls, but um, maybe we just do it on that exact day. Yeah. yeah. We'll just do it on the actual Saturday near the nearest that, you know what I mean? Did you, did you, other than obviously this amazing thing, did you do anything else to celebrate the day? Like, did you go back and watch any of the movies or anything like that? Oh, well, yeah, to prep, we, we watched, um, oh, you know what we did that day is of course, you know, I love watching the, uh, I believe it's the Bispin planet, Bispin planet at the end of Rogue (laughs) One, right? Yeah. I think it's the Bispin beach planet. Um, love that whole sequence. Just love it. And then I watched, I was telling everyone about the Phantom edit. Have you ever heard about that, Chris? No. The Phantom edit edit is, uh, I'm not a terribly big fan of episode one, two, and three. I have my issues with it. Um, I'm such a Star Wars nerd. I have my issues, but there is a (laughs) cut out there. Do I sound like the comic book guy from Simpsons? You do. I was going to say, did you put your glasses before you said this? (laughs) Worst episode ever. Um, (laughs) So um, the Phantom edit is a fan took all three movies, episodes one, two, and three, and condensed them down to about two hours and 40 minutes. Whoa. Cut out everything. And actually the whole movie starts with the Darth Maul fight scene at the end of episode one. Oh my God. So cuts the whole first movie and (laughs) then goes to the mini chase scene at the beginning of episode two with Hayden Christensen. Oh man. So think of it like that, like cutting out all the little kid stuff, cutting out the, and starting with the death of Qui-Gon and going from there. And it's actually like, it's kind of watchable cuts out all the dialogue about sand and how coarse it is and whatever the hell's going on. So um, we watched a little bit of that and then we hit the road. So that's, that's what we did. That's awesome. That's I gotta watch that. Um, yeah, no, the wife and I we watched uh, Rogue One, the only prequel that matters. Mm-hmm. And um, again, I mean, we talked about this previously on the podcast, but like that movie is just amazing. And uh, yeah, it's good. It was a good time to kind of soak. And I hadn't watched it in a little bit, so it was good to kind of revisit that. So yeah, may may the fourth be with us yes. all. Good day. Good stuff. All right, man. Well, so for mine, I I wanted to kind of lead off with this. I finally got to see the Avengers. Last oh week. yeah uh, we get to talk get, finally get to talk about it so folks um gonna mark it here Sp- huge spoilers coming up so if you have not seen avengers endgame if you're the one person in your neighborhood that hasn't seen this movie yet um stop <laughs> listening now and then just scroll down you'll see the mark of the time mark of when you can come and join the conversation again but um <laughs> so saw it this weekend went to a I think it was like an 8.50 a.m. showing because this is what we do. We drop the kid off at school and then we went to the movies. Good choice. Um, Good choice. That's excellent. Yep. That's how we do it. So I got to tell you, 
I, I was, how do I put this? By the end of the movie, I was spent. <laughs> I was done. <laughs> no words. Yeah. It's just like, ah, uh, I need, I need fluids. Yeah. Um, and literally I had no idea that that three hours had passed. It felt like an hour. Like it I, really I was did. Like, it really did. I was like, I cannot believe this was a three hour film. And I got to tell you from take out all the, take out the action sequences, like the action sequences, the fights were great and everything like that. Just as a, a narrative, just a, as in storytelling mm-hmm. and, and characters, I mean, just everything. It was an incredible movie and an experience to watch. Um, and you know, my wife and I were like maybe one of like six people in the entire theater. I and mean, that's the benefit of going to see the movies that early. So it really, I could really kind of react the way I wanted to without being you know, judged by anybody else, by my wife. But I was like cheering and, and hollering and crying. I mean, not, you, like you mentioned first 10 minutes of the movie, you were crying. Balling. Same with me. I was like, oh God. Anyone Hawkeye. with kids. Anyone with kids. Anyone. You're right. Oh my God. Like, oh, you knew it was coming too. You knew it was coming. You knew it. You knew it. And then they showed like, and then the next scene or the next couple scenes, they show Ant-Man. You're like, oh God. Like, cause his narrative and his movies are about his daughter getting back to his daughter. Oh, when she opened the door and his oh. teenage daughter, oh. I was like. <laughs> that even took me for a loop. Cause I was like, oh, she's dead. Right. I'm going to cry about her too. Right. And then she's old. And I'm like, oh, it's even worse. Oh. It's somehow worse. You're like, oh. There's a, oh God, I can't remember what movie it was, but there's a movie that might've been like Flight of the Navigator or something like that, where like a kid comes back. It's like five or 10 years later. And like his, his younger brother is now his older brother. I think it is Flight of the Navigator. I think I think you're right. And yeah. With, yeah. They have this like conversation of like I can't like I, I missed all this time with you. And like I was supposed to be your big brother. And like that kind of like that took me back to that moment and I was just like, oh, kill me. But that whole movie, man, like that whole movie, just emotion left and right. You said it, you know, about you know the character payoffs and stuff like that and, and really doing a lot of fan service. Um definitely. And yeah. I think the deaths, a lot of people were like, I, I read some criticism of the film and for those like three people that didn't like certain things and uh, <laughs> yeah, they're like, well, you found those. Okay, yeah, yeah, I know. Like I, I wish that more characters had died. I'm like, first of all, that's dark of you. Secondly, right. um, you lost two pivotal characters in this movie. Like you lost um, Black Widow, you lost Iron Man, and oh, and by the way, Vision never came back either. So right, you know, he's that, gone. He's, he's definitely gone. gone because that actor didn't want to come back. So <laughs> exactly. So Paul Bettany, yeah, um, yeah. No, it just, it just, it was everything. And the ending. I mean, the last twenty minutes of that movie, I'm, I'm a mess, man. I was, yeah. I was tears streaming, um, especially after when the girls like, you know, I want a cheeseburger, and you know, Happy's like, I'll get oh. you all the cheeseburgers I want, you want. I'm like, stop. And then. This is how pathetic I am. So I came home after the movie and I popped on YouTube and I started watching Kevin Smith's like breakdown. Oh, right. Like, yep. I watched that hour long thing and he's crying. And <laughs> as he's crying, I start crying again. And I'm like, I, what is, what's going on here? Like, this is ridiculous. So <laughs> well, tell me about just, your experience. Now that we can talk about it, like, yeah. what were you, how did you react to some of these things? Well, now that I'm a week out, I'm a little less, a little, a little less emotional. Uh, <laughs> but you know, Chris and, and Kevin Smith touched upon this too. Like never has there been a movie that has paid off 22 movies before. Nope. 
Never, ever, ever. And if you know anything about screenwriting, took screenwriting in college or have tried to write plays or screen screenwriting, one of the cardinal rules is you have to pay off everything. And they went through and they paid off movies that they never even wrote or directed, the Russo brothers. Mm. They went in and and steered through freaking <laughs> Thor the Dark World. You know what I mean? <laughs> one of like the, I guess, least favorite of the crowd. You know what I mean? But still was in there and made something of it. You know what I mean? Yeah. And now I have to go back and watch that movie because the Renee Russo part was great. She was great in the movie too. You know what I mean? Well, that was the one thing I was like, no, no Avengers Endgame. I'm not going to go back and revisit <laughs> Thor the Dark World. Oh, all right. I'm not going to make me do that. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and yet I probably have to, but, uh, yeah, now you do. Yeah. But yeah, that was, I mean, and, and not for nothing, but the, the stuff they did with Hulk was brilliant. 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 I mean, smart Hulk is a very niche comic line that I, I think it was like in the early nineties or late eighties, they did it, but you know, it's a very, very, you know, short lived thing. And yet they brought it back and people apparently went nuts when they, they had this. And I loved when they go back to New York and they're like, oh, by the way, you have to smash thing. And he's like, oh, okay. Uh, <laughs> this is beneath smash. me now. Yeah. <laughs> this is beneath me. He, just, he tosses a motorcycle. Um, <laughs> yeah. I mean, but you know, and how heavy handed and emotional the movie was, it was still funny. There was still, still funny. legitimate funny beats that, you know, they have found through James Gunn and the Guardians of the Galaxy, how to make these movies funny um engaging and still emotional and i think you Mm -hmm. know that's why we talked down upon thor the dark world because it was right before guardians of the galaxy you know it was going to this place where you know it's us versus evil and we have to conquer everything and without guardians of the galaxy definitely we would definitely not have thor ragnarok Thor Ragnarok took so much from Guardians, not not stealing anything, but just that tone and the way that the movie is funny and, and actually poking fun at superheroes and like, you know, taking everything with a grain of salt, like knowing how ridiculous it is in itself. Uh, mm-hmm. Dare I say almost in a Army of Darkness kind of way. I love just dropping Army <laughs> of Darkness in every podcast. Um, but anyway, just, you know, how like self-referential it is, you know what I mean? Self-deprecating humor. It is. Yeah. Um, I think they they owe a lot to that kind of tone. But still, when this movie opens up with Hawkeye and his kids, I'm already tearing up. And there were people in the theater with me that you could tell that they, you know, just like I mentioned with the um, Mallrats reference in Captain Marvel, there was people that didn't understand, like, why this movie was so heavy. And um, a couple of my coworkers went to go see it. And I was like, oh, they were like, oh, I guess I didn't watch Ant-Man. I was like, well, <laughs> did you understand how we just did everything? <laughs> because, <laughs> I mean, that's pretty much the key to unlocking how they just went back and defeated this whole Thanos thing. And I just, uh, right. for them to, you know, of course, we had to go back in time and use some sort of kind of time manipulation to undo what they've done. Um, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. but you know, for them to just have all of those storylines weave together, it was just intense. It, it was great. Intense. Yeah. And I I've seen a couple people like be bored with the movie, but I, I guarantee, what? yeah, I guarantee it's people that have never seen all the rest of the movies. I, I, I'm sorry. You just have to engage. And then there's a couple great, uh, videos out there, Chris on YouTube where they go through all the Easter eggs of the movies and all the comics. 
there's one that's like 20 minutes long. I'll throw it up on my liked videos. Please, yeah. Um, Easter eggs inside the comics. Like when um, Cap goes back with Iron Man, he's wearing an army outfit. And the name on the army outfit is an alias that Captain uses inside the comic books. <laughs> oh, okay. Yeah. So it's <laughs> there's some deep cuts throughout that whole movie, which are pretty crazy. Well, another one that I saw, and I'll just mention this briefly, was that when Peggy – she comes in the office when Cap's on the other side of the window and looking at her and stuff like that. She, in a very muffled voice, she's like, we got to look for this guy Braddock or this person Braddock. Yep. And the internet has now exploded because apparently Marvel has like five characters with the name Braddock um, that can <laughs> that are like can shoot off in five different directions. Like one is like the X-Men. One is like this different storyline and, and such. And so everybody's like, what does that mean? And stuff like that. So again, this movie is just going to be a treasure trove of Easter eggs and possibilities. But you know, the thing that I, it's funny, like I was driving home and I was like, I got really depressed. And my wife was like, why are you so sad? I'm like, the reason is like, they're going to obviously with this next phase build towards something again. I mean, they'd be foolish not to, this movie made, two billion dollars in you know seven days so i said to myself i'm gonna be like 50 by the time that this thing like <laughs> the next thing yeah, right. wraps up so I'm like good lord like talk about time travel in a way but i mean um incredible just an incredible achievement in cinema like you you said it kevin smith said it, there's never been a movie like this before i can't see another one ever being like it again this is like no if i think it's the right it's the right place right time again you yeah. know how we talked about kind of the you know how we've talked about golden ages of cinema in this in this podcast already you know like 70s and then there's golden age of indie cinema in like the 90s you know with uh, renting movies and now that's kind of passed and as you know the the past couple of years before all these giant superhero movies came out um movie theaters were in decline mm -hmm. you know what i mean trying to yep. get people's butts in the seats as far as like movie pass and all these like kind of businesses showing up just because no one was going to the movies. Uh, I think that decline after these kind of gigantic movies, probably just after this one, will probably be back on the decline again mm -hmm. because mm -hmm. I can't see us building, like you said, building towards such an epic movie that means so much. Of course, we'll have fast and the furious movies that people just want to see because they're big and loud, but you know, one wrong step with one of those, you know what I mean? One misstep with one of those people are going to be like, Okay, I'll go see this action movie, but it doesn't really matter anything. You know right. what I mean? There's not the same build. Well, we've seen other like studios try to do the same thing and they've all failed. And it comes down to storytelling. I mean, you know, obviously DC tried to do it with their universe and they did it backwards. Obviously. Obviously. Which right. was awful. And then like Universal tried to do it briefly with their monster movie shared Oof. universe by doing the mummy and they were gonna do the Wolfman and like just a bad idea in general, but like if you watch the mummy, like that's a lesson in how like you need that first movie to be good. Like, right. You know, the, the brilliance with Iron Man was that we had no idea this was a part of anything until that last post credit scene. And with Nick Fury saying like, have you heard about the Avengers initiative? And all of a sudden we freaked out and then they revealed their hand. And, you know, <laughs> that's what universal was stupid by with the monster thing. Cause they're like, we're going to do all these monster films. They're all going to be connected, but the first one was terrible. So, right. You know, yeah. It's and just, then it's... you hear stories about that first Iron Man. And, uh, I don't know if you've heard, um, interviews with Jeff Bridges and, uh, Robert Downey Jr. on Howard Stern and how, how much improv went into that movie. Nice. Um, 
it, it's just insane. Like Jeff Bridges still tells the story about he shows up to set and Jeff Bridges is a legit actor. You know what I mean? He mm-hmm. yep. memorizes his lines. He's just, you know, work, you know, he, he's there to work. He says, I had the whole script memorized. Here we go. And then he got on set and they threw out the whole script. <laughs> and then wow. we started rehearsing with our characters and making stuff up. And like there was multiple times he had to pull Robert Downey aside and John Favreau aside and say, are we really doing this? We're making a <laughs> we're making an experimental independent like improv group for two hundred million dollars. <laughs> we're really doing this thing. And they were right. They nailed it. And, you know, they, it, of course, it it takes really good actors at the helm, really good directors with the guts to do something like that. Mm-hmm. And, you know, and of course, that movie doesn't work. There's so many things with Iron Man 1, and it might be dated, might be slow by today's movie, uh, you know, superhero movie standards. But there's so many things, beats in that movie that could have gone wrong if the effects were wrong, if the jokes didn't land funny, if you didn't care about the characters, if it was a bad, bad guy. There's so many things that could have gone wrong. And there there are things that went wrong, like Terrence Howard had to drop out, or he did because he asked for too much money and they had to replace him. So. You know, the, the whole thing might have toppled with that first movie. The second Don Chidel like rolled up on the second movie, but luckily he's freaking Don Chidel and he's awesome. So, um, yeah. So, oh, Chris, so let's not turn off that spoiler alert yet um, because I want to talk about the, one of my articles today, which is a nice segue. I wanted to talk about the new Spider-Man trailer that dropped today. Oh, did you watch this? I did. Did you watch this? I scene? did. And I freaked out. I freaked out. Yes. Um, so like, you know how you were just saying, like, where are they going to take this universe? You know, how are they going to handle what just happened inside of Avengers Endgame? And I think we got a sneak preview that they're not going on. Like, um, nothing happened, you know, like the first Spider-Man trailer that dropped maybe a couple months ago, it looked like Peter Parker on a field trip, (laughs) right? Yeah. And you were like, wait, are they just going to ignore these movies? This is kind of BS. And then we got a kind of a glimpse into they're going to recognize the multiverse they're going to recognize that peter lost five years they're going to recognize all these things and they're going to use it in this movie coming up it's it's one of those things where i'm so glad like if you watch the trailer like tom holland comes on screen he's like you know hey just to let you know this spoils like endgame spoilers are in this and literally the first image you see is a memorial to iron man so they didn't they didn't waste any time like it was like no spoilers oh he's gone um the movie looks phenomenal and I'm so I'm it really so does glad. now. Now it does. You're right. I mean, yeah. when I first trailer, yep. when the first trailer came out, I said, first thing I said was, "Why do they release a trailer so early?" I was like, "Why did you do that?" Like, like we know that right. Spidey's like quote unquote is dead after the end of Infinity War. Like, don't show us anything. Like, we know the movie's coming out, but don't show us anything. So I thought that was foolish on their part until I saw this trailer, and I was like, "Oh, okay, I see what they were doing there." So. I know it, it's so great. It's so great that, you know, how many times have we seen a trailer and they just spoil the whole movie. We go to see said movie and it's the movie. We just, we, we pretty much are spoiled from the trailer. And it seems like they are playing this game so excellently and giving us these almost fake trailers. Like when we watched the Avengers Endgame, the first trailer, it was all about Tony Stark floating in space, almost dying. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? And that was almost the whole narrative of the first trailer. And you were like, wow, is that going to be like an hour of the movie? <laughs> yeah. Like, what, is this is this going to be Tony? And then we got to find him. And this can be a whole. And that was over within like seven minutes of Endgame. You know what I mean? And they have done such a great job. And Renuso and the Russo brothers have said themselves that they release fake things to throw us off. At least those guys. And 
Kevin Feige, just keep doing these things. Just keep messing with our heads. As long as they pay off the way they do, rock yeah. and roll, man. No, the Spider-Man trailer looks great. And um, again, I, I'm so thrilled with what they've done with it. First of all, from a just a storyline standpoint, I, I think they've, you know, aside from maybe the first and second Raimi Spider-Mans, this feels like they kind of nailed the character uh, yep. in, the way it should be done. And um yeah, no, I'm just I'm loving where it's going. I love that Jake Gyllenhaal is in it as Mysterio. Um, mm-hmm. You know, this is an actor that said no to Marvel films for the past decade. Like he yep. had been considered for, you know, take all the guys that are in that movie. He was up for every single one of them. And he yeah. kept saying, no, I'm good. Like, no, it's not for me. So he something about this role and this film made him say yes. Maybe also the the paycheck too but um well i think you know, this, this character this character really isn't that big in the comics he's kind of a like he has his own storyline don't want to spoil it for anyone if they're going to use said storyline right. um but i think they're going to take a different line with this character maybe he is kind of a controller of this multiverse thing that we've just kind of opened um if if you guys if anyone out there wants to kind of check out where we're going with the next kind of phase um, please check out the Secret Wars. So Secret Wars 1, Secret Wars 2. Secret Wars 2 especially, people were asking me on, um, actually on Saturday, about where we're going to go with this Phase 4. And I hope they go down this path of, you know, um, multiverses and alternate dimensions and and bad guys that are so powerful that we can't fight them. You know, there's going to be a certain point where our fists and our superpowers can't hurt these guys. You know, Thanos was almost indestructible for the most part. And, you know, there's creatures out there that we haven't met yet that are so incredibly powerful. They can snap us out of existence with like the snap of our finger without a glove, without all the BS. They can just choose to blink us out of existence. And, um, in secret wars too, uh, there's a, I forget the guy's name. That's the main bad guy, but it's something kind of generic, but he comes down to earth and he can just do anything. And the Avengers pretty much have to say, hey, please stop. Like, it's not like a fight. Like, they try to fight him, and it's it's not even fair. Um, those are those are great runs. And then also House of M. If if no one's read House of M, it's really great. Um, Scarlet Witch freaks out for a number of reasons, which they've kind of set that up in motion with Vision dying and stuff like that. Um, Scarlet Witch, of course, is Magneto's daughter. Um, which would be kind of hard to bring into the MCU right now. Um, but you never know. And Scarlet Witch, Scarlet Witch, uh, you know, snaps her fingers. Her her true power comes out and snaps us into a multiverse where Magneto is the president and he's killing humans and the mutants oh. run the world. Oh, um, and the only person that realizes what's going on is Wolverine because his brain is coated with animantium. So her powers can't penetrate it. So he wakes up, freaks out and starts killing all these people. <laughs> and They can't control him, And he has no idea what's going on. It's a great storyline. I'll Amazing. just leave you there. But those three storylines will kind of give you a sense of what's going to happen going forward. I hope it's going to be incredible. I mean, I, I trust whatever they're going to do. Like I'm fine with it. Like go just do your thing. I'll be there. Not a problem. So awesome, man. Good stuff. Good stuff. All right. What else you got? Well, oh, that, that, was, was that, that, was, that was it. That was it. Number two. Okay. So that was number two, baby. <clears throat> I, I, we had a, such an amazing segue. You didn't even know I did it. I didn't even know you. It's just so swift. I love it. So my uh, th- second one, uh, and to, you know, for those of you coming back from spoilers, um, I am going to talk about Game of Thrones. Um, <laughs> so you might so, want to skip this part too. <laughs> so to the separate audience that has not seen Game of Thrones, 
She might want to skip this part. So we're just audiences are coming and going on this podcast. That's fine. That's, that's, fine. Well, that's why we give them a ton of content. So they're like, oh, we'll just skip. Right exactly. Yeah, if you just want to skip to the YouTube, and man, that's like where my bread and butter is. <laughs> exactly. I got I got YouTube and all day. I love it. I love it. Well, did you? So Game of Thrones was this past week, which again, another great episode. I mean, I don't. A lot of people are like, oh, I want I want action, nonstop action and blood and stuff like that. But I have I have no problem with setting the table episodes. And this was a great one. But a couple things about this episode. First of all, did you see the, the Starbucks cup in there? No, I heard about <laughs> it. Where was it? So where was it? <laughs> so it's this, it was literally in the scene where John is sitting on the table talking to Tormund and a bunch of the other guys uh, while they're drinking. Oh. And in the background, you can see it's like one of the shots where it's, it's over his shoulder looking at Danny. And Danny is like looking off in the distance like, you know, no one's really. Yeah, no one's paying me attention. Blah, blah. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, exactly. Ooh, I'm going to kill my, everyone. What about my dragons? Yeah. Um, and literally, like, right, almost right in front of her at, at a interesting empty seat is a Starbucks cup with the sleeve and everything. Oh, my God. Um, and it's like a two-second, like, clip. So it, was, it wasn't there for, like, it's not like the Pepsi cam in Ter- Terminator 2, but it's like, it was just there for a split sec. And then, like, when they came back to that next shot, it was gone. But at least for that that moment... <laughs> Starbucks company. So last week we talked about product placement, no. things like that. <laughs> and so this week you had a really great one. And apparently, well, listen, Chris, Chris, listen, okay. You know, there's warging in the show. Isn't it called warging? Isn't Bran like warging? And he, he can he can kind of drift into animals and drift through time yeah. and space. Yep. I mean, maybe he went to a Starbucks well, and he, went to Starbucks. he picked up a quick snack and a latte and a whatever, you know. <laughs> But some very some very interesting like people um, were able to kind of trace like social media photos and like th- this is like next level like investigatory BS. But they fa- basically found out that first of all the seat that's that's empty that the Starbucks is in front the cup is in front of is where Sansa was sitting. So a lot of people oh, were like, oh. oh maybe it was just you know Sophie uh, you know just left her her cup there and forgot about it. Um, and then, like, apparently, like, someone found a behind-the-scenes photo that she had taken, like, that day of shooting that scene and, like, on her Instagram or something like that, and she's holding the Starbucks cup. So, like, everyone was like, mystery solved. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe she was, like, in character, and I could totally see Sansa wanting to ruin Daenerys's shot. You ever think of that? Oh. And left the cup there. You ever think of that? Just ultimate method. There you go. But someone, someone like the, Twitter, needless to say, Twitter went nuts with this, and the responses were great. One of which I put, I put on my Facebook page, where um, they, this person had said, like, you know, when they write the names of these people on the Starbucks cups, like they wrote all the names that Danny is. They're like Mother of Dragons, Khaleesi. <laughs> it was just a great response. So um, yeah, yeah. But other than that, great Game of Thrones is great. Down to one dragon now. Craziness. Uh, any um, problems with the episode? Uh, okay. Like, how about that last scene? Let's talk about that last scene. Let's talk about. Let's talk about the. Uh, you know, Cersei on the wall. I. I thought Tyrion was going to get iced. I won't lie. Like, I was ready for. I was like, oh my god, he's going to get spit. I kind of was ready for it. I, and you know what's effed up is like he's one of my – he definitely is one of my and a lot of people's favorite characters in the show. And I think we've just seen him make these bonehead moves. And I don't know what – if it's because he trusts his sister. I mean maybe it will all pay out in the end. But right, right. she was ready to let 
you know, hell fly through the air and just have him just owned right there. And I don't know what he was trying to do in the first place. I don't know. Yeah. I like, I like the death. I like that the fact that they killed um, Miss, I can't pronounce her name, Miss, Miss Indri, Miss Indri. Um, yeah, Miss Andri, yeah. Miss Andri. I liked it because not only does it piss off Grey Worm, because you just saw his reaction, like, oh, God, like right. just anger and pain and all that stuff. But it also like pissed off Danny when she storms off. And for me, it's like that, I feel like that death is going to make her react irrationally in some way. Right. And that's going to be like, and that's going to lead to her downfall in the next episode or so. Like, I don't think Danny makes this, makes it out of this thing. And I think that's, that's, I don't that's think so. The now they're definitely building us towards it. They're, yeah. Or she kills every single person ever. <laughs> or they're <laughs> right. building us towards that. She just becomes the mad queen and she kills everyone. Right. I did like the fact of like, you know, she said Dracarys, you know, right before they, they axed her because it was basically like, just light these people up, like light them up. Like, yep. <laughs> and I was like, it's on, it's on next week. Were, so, you were, were you shocked at one of the dragons going down? Yeah. I was. Well, you know, what's weird. And I, I, I kid you not. If, if you look at the frame right before you shot, it was definitely kind of like an establishment type of, of positioning. And when I went back and looked at it, I was like, wow, like they kind of do this a lot with these surprise deaths and arrows going through random people where it's just like you see the way they position people in frames and stuff like that. So again, like when I went back and looked at it, I was like, oh yeah, they kind of they kind of set us up for that. But yeah. They set it up. Okay. I had no I had no idea it was coming and I, I was like, holy shit, like crazy, crazy. Awesome. All right, that's all I got, <laughs> <laughs> dude. It was, I mean, the show is still great. I mean, still what great. Are you say? There's only two I, episodes. There's only two episodes left, by the way. So. I think, and you know, as far as the timeline, them going right to the gates and everything, I was very happy. You mm-hmm. know what I mean? I was extremely happy. We were right to the gates. It was on. Oh, and actually, um, on Sunday, I'm planning on going out to the theaters to go to a watching party to next Whoa. episode. Yeah, Rome Cinema. So there's the Rome Capital Cinema. So Rome Capital is like this old school theater, you know, one of the oldest in the area, if not the oldest in the area. And they have these small independent theaters that like, you know, seat about 20 and they have Game of Thrones watching parties. They have they've had them for this oh, whole season man. and I haven't been able to go, but this Sunday I'm going. I can't wait. Do you watch on YouTube uh, Sean Tanktop at all? No. No. No, what's that? So this is this is a guy he owns, I think he's either owns or works at a bar in Burlington, England. Mm. And they do watch parties. Like so they basically imagine going to a bar watching Game Seven of the World Series, except they basically just show Game of Thrones and you've got all these people dressed up and stuff like that. And these people, the reactions that they you know, they film the reactions and like it's priceless. Like watching some of these people react to some of these things, um, like getting so angry. Like last week when, when they beheaded uh, Misandre, like people were just like F this F Cersei, like <laughs> can't wait for you to get lit up. And like, it was just anger, pure anger. So yeah, I, I, I would love to go to a viewing party like that someday. That's awesome. That's awesome. 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 Very cool. All right. What else you got, sir? All right. You ready? Uh, number three um, is a um, article from Uproxx about quentin tarantino so as we know quentin tarantino Mm -hmm. is um uh coming out with once upon a time in hollywood which looks fantastic i'm all in i I, i'm done watching trailers there's some movies i just need to know the gist of it i was the same with hateful eight and i was definitely the same with django and i was just all in so i just stopped watching trailers stop listening to things on the internet i just go i'm going um so this article says 
that he is that him making his Star Trek movie is a very big possibility. <laughs> so in 2017, he talked about getting the rights and talking to people about um, making a Star Trek movie. Um, and here's a quote, and it says, that's one I wouldn't do as a miniseries because it would just be better as a movie. I thought about that idea, but that would just work better as one movie. Just a longer one as far as I'm concerned. So I've actually done that. We're just kind of waiting for some time after Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, and we'll release it eventually. <laughs> Jesus. The reason why that is huge is that would be number 10 for him. That would be his final movie that he, quote, is going to make. So he said that famously oh, that that would be his last directing movie. <laughs> Do I want the, his last movie to be Star Trek? It would be, I, you know, a, a, a person like him that has been on the coattails or writing, writing on cult cinema and grindhouse cinema and everything that is kind of far out. I mean, he has not made a sci-fi movie yet. No. You know what I mean? He's made a like revenge flick with, of course, Kill Bills. He's made a Western. He's made, you know, a slave movie. He's made World War Two. I mean, World War Two movie. He's made a, a, a heist movie. He's made a gangster movie. He's kind of hit all the genres except for crazy sci-fi movie. Uh, it's so tough for me because like, I want him to go out like guns a blazing, like this is, you know, balls to the wall, Tarantino. But at the same time, I know that he would bring something to the Star Trek franchise unlike anything that's ever been seen before and unlike anything that will ever be done again. So mm -hmm. for and like, you know, the way that he would do that movie, I mean, you couldn't <laughs> it's like, how do you launch a franchise from that? If that's gonna be his last movie, like good luck to the next guy. Like <laughs> doing the other one yeah, after that. Um, yeah, good luck, Ryan John. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> I'm I'm on board with it. You know, like I think Star Trek is one of those things that suffers from um, getting into, I guess, kind of just falling into its its cliches again, so to speak. Like like the first movie was so good, and then you know, it just kind of came back to where right. it used to be. Well, so. it's it's kind of like what you were saying. Like me too. I would love it if Tarantino did the most Tarantino-iest movie of all time for his last movie, but he would make a parody of himself. You know what I mean? If he made, you know, guys breaking into a, a jewelry store while quoting Madonna and stealing a gold glowing briefcase or something like that, uh, you know, and then there's a Kung Fu scene with like machetes. I don't know. <laughs> it would be amazing. I'd watch it and I'd pay full price. I'd pay 20 bucks to see that movie, but I, I can't see him. The reason why we like him is because he keeps trying to do something different. And, you know, it wouldn't be Tarantino in space. I, I could see him being really true, almost no swearing, nothing. You know what I mean? It would be something that would be extremely, like, probably violent and, you know, intense. But I couldn't see him doing, you know, Tarantino doing Tarantino. So right. I, I don't know. I'm, I'm, I'm conflicted in either way. Should he produce it? That'd be cool. Should he write it and produce it? Almost like he did... Um, you know, true romance. Should he just write it? That'd be kind of neat, mm -hmm. but we'll see. We'll see okay. what happens. I just thought that story was out of control. And that was a, that was a quote from like last week. So that's huge. Unbelievable. I love it. I love it. I'm on board. All right. So for my next one, I don't know if you saw this. I don't, I don't, I don't assume that you did, but um, on Monday, 
yesterday uh, was the Met Gala. I don't know if you saw this. So this no. is like an annual thing. It's a fundraiser for um, the Met. Basically, is ran by Vogue's editor-in-chief, Anna Winter. It's a big fashion event where okay. it's like the more outrageous you can be, the better it is. Um, so, yeah, if you go – if you just Google like Met Gala, you'll see all these people dressed up in like a really ridiculous costumes. Like Katy Perry came – in, in like a cheeseburger like she was literally inside a cheeseburger um kind of looked like mayor mccheese and uh you know it, it's just a, it's a crazy crazy wild event and it just got me thinking about fashion in general basically and, and how you know we, we're not necessarily in the golden age of fashion anymore like you know icons like cindy crawford and all these things but um how fashion nowadays it's like it's it's not about who you wear anymore it's about how it's like what you what how do you look when you wear it like what what are you wearing in in and how it makes a statement about your personality and things like that so i want to ask you ben like when you're like right. when you're selecting your outfits each day for the red carpet for the red carpet that is your work um, <laughs> oh there okay. you go what i mean do you ever think about things like that like i'm going to make a statement today with my jeans or this shirt or are you just like I, is it just well, like, you know, Chris, you know, it's funny because I don't you're know talking where to I was someone, going with this, but right. Yeah. I mean, you're talking to someone that loves dressing up, you know what I mean? I just was at an event where we all dressed up like Star Wars. Uh, right. And, uh, but for work, it's more about functionality. My mm. work, anything could happen at any second. So jeans, jeans, jeans every day. So, uh, that's me at work. What about you, Chris? <laughs> like, I just, I was like, I had this whole thing about where I was like, man, bitch and moan about fashion the fashion industry and then as i started talking i'm like where am i going with this um i I was looking at some of the pictures and i think you're onto something with it's less about fashion it's less about it's less about you know and especially this event i think that's the whole kind of gimmick um it's less about looking good and more about going viral right thank you thank you and i think you know with you know after being in the advertising industry for a a little bit and my dad being in it forever, you know, there, especially nowadays with so many media outlets, some everywhere and all of us ingesting media, as we say on this podcast from so many different devices and gateways, um, it's all about cutting through, you know what Mm -hmm. I mean? It's Mm -hmm. all about cutting through the noise, you know, like I was just listening to, uh, the Red Sox game on the radio, uh, uh, when I was driving uh, the other day. And, you know, it's a big market, big market team, of course, and you have some professional spots in there, but so many of them just kind of bleed into the background. So you almost zone out. And then every once in a while, there'll be a spot that cuts through and whether it be an annoying noise, whether it be um, not your typical kind of pitch as far as sales and stuff, you know, that's, that's what the show Mad Men was all about. It was about Draper kind of um, cutting through this, you know this generic old way to sell things and talking about how it hits to your core, your family Mm -hmm. values, your values as a human being less about the product, more about your family values and what's important to you in your life, your existential being. And so I think in, in today's day and age, all celebrities, all movies, they're trying to go viral. Right. That's all I can think of is is, while watching these dresses, just going viral. And what's funny is like all these pictures from this event are always outside as they're walking in. So you're like, they're walking up the stairs. It's not the red carpet. It's the pink carpet of this event. It always, it's always a pink carpet. Um, 
there's no pictures that take place inside the event. So I'm always wondering, okay, once you walk up those steps and everybody sees what you're wearing and there's the ooh and the ahs, what do you do? Like, like, right. like, like with the, the cheeseburger outfit, like when you walk into the party, you're still dressed as a freaking cheeseburger. Like, what do you do? So I don't know. It's an event right. that confuses me every year. Um, it just, it <laughs> bewilders me. And yet I really want to go to it someday. So, you know, and in winter, if you're listening to this, like, you know, I'm, I'm a pretty big deal now. So <laughs> yeah, I can go viral. I can go viral. I'm, I'm pretty outspoken. I can, I can dress up as a, a burrito. Um, I'll cut through the internet. I'll cut through it like glass. <laughs> there you go. So, I mean, that, that was my number three, I guess. <laughs> so that's like, okay. Excellent. Uh, all right. My number four is um, um, Adam Sandler finally hosted SNL this weekend. Yeah. Oh, man. Yeah. Did you watch it? I did. I okay. Did. did you stay up or like we discussed, watch it on YouTube the next day? I actually, you know, what's funny. I stayed up to watch it and then I turned it off. I turned it off midway through um, because I got I, I found myself getting angry and I probably should have stuck around to weekend update because he brought back Opera Man and I heard and he actually brought back the original writers like Robert Smigel and a bunch of other guys to like do yeah. Opera Man. Um, but I kind of wish that those guys did the entire episode because up until that point, it, it just wasn't great. And I got really upset that I was like, oh, my God, it's Sandler. Like. This is his first time being back on the show, like first time hosting the show ever. Um, like what an again, another wasted opportunity by the current SNL writing staff. You know, um, the only skit that actually really made me laugh was the Romano Tours one, the Tours of Italy. That was so great. I actually talked about it at work <laughs> like yesterday. <laughs> if you're miserable in Long Island, you're gonna be miserable in Italy. <laughs> that was hilarious. It's like we're gonna take you on a wine tour, but we can't tell you why. You, like you're an alcoholic. <laughs> <laughs> why you drink? That was a, why you drink. <laughs> so that was the one. That was the one sketch that got me. But even like they they even wasted like a, a Kristen Wig return. Like it was yeah. like like she came back and everybody was like yay. And I was like that's Kristen Wig. Like I don't know. I was just I was I found myself really frustrated by it. What do you think? I, you know, and I, I kept thinking about what you said about this current cast and the current writers and just, yeah, just a waste. And there was, and the opening monologue was really funny. Um, yes. Talking about, I got yep. fired. That was great. Um, but then all of a sudden that Pete Davidson got on stage. Oh, he's the worst. And just, he's the worst. that was not funny at all. Nope. <laughs> you know, nope. it reminded me of. One of my favorite moments on live t- TV is when I was a kid. Jason Patrick hosted. He's one of the band oh hosts yeah. um, to never be to never host again. And I can't find this clip anywhere on the internet. Um, Chris, I don't know if you know what I'm talking about. I don't know if I hallucinated this when I was a kid. I must have been 11. Um, must have been like 11 or 12. And there's one sketch where he stops acting, turns towards the camera, and he says, "That's not funny." That's not funny. And then the camera turned off and it went quick to commercial. <laughs> I wanted to do that. I wanted to be Jason Patrick, like in that moment. I wanted to grab the microphone from Pete Davidson. I was like, you're just ruining like the history that this man has. And just right. there's like an inner joke that with you, Pete Davidson, that's coming from this year that's kind of funny, but you're more annoying than funny. Like right. we're talking about legit funny people. There's effing Chris Rock right there. You know what I mean? Right there. And then everything, you know what, Chris, like you said, if Opera Man was written by Smigel, that was brilliant. It was awesome. And it makes sense because that was hilarious. 
And um, then, of course, I th- I've talked about the song before. Uh, Adam Sandler did a, a version of his Chris Farley song. Yes. Um, yep. And he got to use clips from the show live. And of course I teared up and shit like, <laughs> like a little girl. Yeah. And uh, it was just awesome. You know what I mean? And for him to do that on Saturday Night Live, I just thought, like you said, everything that Sandler wrote or anyone else wrote besides the new writers was great. Was mm-hmm. absolutely great. Well, SNL was really stupid this week with what they did on social media. Um, so leading up to this episode on YouTube, I don't know if you saw this, they released a bunch of old Sandler clips to kind of okay. get people like amped. <clears throat> and it was kind of a, a a curse because watching those skits, you're like, oh my god, like how good was, did this show used to be? <laughs> like, <laughs> just, it just was a, a harsh reminder of how bad this show has now become. Um, and we've talked about it before because they try to play it safe because yep. they're they're trying not to offend anybody and get in trouble. And you know, when you watch some of these early stuff back in the '90s, like that skit, like the Gap Girls where it's Farley and oh, like, I was just thinking that I was like, just thinking that like today, like you get, like if you did that skit in 2019, you get all these people saying that's like, that's transphobia. That's like, I'm like, no, first of all, no, it's not number one. No, it's not. <laughs> it's, it's Chris, Chris Farley. Farley. He's like, the funniest person and, ever. You know, again, like that's, that's the era that we're living in. And again, like I just, I hate this, this season's hosts. I would say 80% of them have been amazing and could have been incredible on these episodes and yet the writing staff just doesn't do them any service. Even Emma Stone, like, I mean, Don Cheadle, I mean, all these guys are just great, great um, hosts and so talented. And they just, they just kept screwing it up with their just terrible, (laughs) terrible writing. So, yeah. Yeah. It's just, I don't, yeah. And and I was actually thinking of that gap girl sketch as you were like, right before you said that, because that wasn't a prominent sketch on the show. No, that no. was probably after the first musical guest. You know what I mean? It might've been after weekend update. It was not at the top of the show. And still they play those clips. Like they're, those are on the best of Farley, best of Sandler DVD yep. because those yep. are so freaking funny. Like David Spade and those sketches are so funny. Like, and cause those were the second tier. You have to remember how huge Mike Myers and Dana Carvey were, especially Dana Carvey. Dana Carvey mm-hmm. like ruled that show. That first half hour was all Dana Carvey. If you didn't have Dana Carvey on the show, people were tuning out. That's how huge Dana Carvey was. Right. And then right. the second cast of characters, I mean, you had Rock really not being used. You had all these people just not really being used and fighting to get on really funny sketches, but are still funny to this day. Uh, they just don't – they're not willing to take chances. And, and like I've nope. said before, you know, it, it, you could blame PC culture, Chris, but I'll point to Key and Peele. Two guys that made really funny sketch comedy in today's day and age and are still funny. There's people at work. I'm still showing, you know, like the bitch sketch and I'm still showing the substitute teacher sketch. They haven't seen it yet and they're dying. And you know what I mean? And it's, it's, I don't know. It's possible to do this thing. It really is. And yeah, whenever like I got a sense that it wasn't like Sandler writing his own material, like the Fartley song, you know what I mean? Or contributing in any way. It was just like, yeah, okay, I get it. So, <laughs> well, you know, it's, I think it's one of those things where nowadays you've got all these, even on the performers level, forget the writers on the performer level. I think you've got these performers that nowadays are too afraid to really go out there because they don't want to hurt their brand, so to speak. Oh, that's true too. So, that's true. Maybe, maybe in the writer's room, they say, I'm not going to do that. 
Right. Exactly. Because, you know, at the same time, you've got, you know, like a lot of them are doing their own thing. Like a lot of them are doing stand up at the same time. Um, AD Bryant now has a brand new show on Hulu now, which is like, you know, I don't know how she's fitting in all this stuff together. Kate McKinnon's got one foot out the door right now. So it's, I don't think you've got a lot of, uh, of performers anymore that are really going for it. Back in the day, here's an example. Like you tell Farley, oh, by the way, we're doing a song called Lunch Ladyland and we just want you to dance around as a lunch lady. Okay. Um, <laughs> hey, Chris Farley, we're going to do a, a skit where you read the Zagat Guide to Adam Sandler and about restaurants in New York City. Okay. Like you just had guys that said, yeah, I'll do whatever. Yeah, just willing to do it. And I mean, and when we talk about acting on the show, I mean, uh, when I teach acting, um, you know, I talk about you need to be the actor that's willing to do anything. You, you're willing to do anything that the other guy won't. You know what I mean? Who's willing to get killed in this scene and have a, a gallon of blood dumped on their head? Yep, that's me. <laughs> you know what I mean? Who's willing to take off their shirt and run around like on fire? Yeah, that's me. I could do that. You know, anything. You do anything. I mean, and just think of like a, a sketch that I still can't believe was made is uh, Schmidt's Gay, the commercial. Right. That was the old one. The old one. That's a that's a perfect example of. Sandler and Farley doing that sketch. It's one of the funniest, still one of the funniest sketches of all time. And Sandler talked about on Stern and saying that they were just starting out and they're just dying for any part. You know what I mean? They were still very early, very young on in their career and they're 23, 22. And they're like, we'll take anything. But still, that shows that hunger. I'll do anything for the show. Let me just do anything to get on screen. <laughs> of course, they had to make that that's commercial. Oh, it was incredible. So. Incredible. So good stuff, my man. Good stuff. All right. All right. So my number four. <clears throat> I don't know if you saw that on avclub.com, they posted a great article the other day about some someone found like original news footage of a guy interviewing people coming out of the theater having just seen David Lynch's Eraserhead for the first time. No way. <laughs> so, oh my God. AV club. AV I'm sorry. Club. Go ahead. You keep talking. I'm going to look this up right now. Are you kidding me, Chris? So it's on, it's actually on Twitter, but they, they talked about it on AV club and it's a, it's just this guy like, you know, like, you know, TV, like news channel 11. Like we're going to talk to people coming out of the theater, having seen a racer head <laughs> and the reactions are <laughs> amazing. Like you've got guys saying like, uh, I have no idea. And then you've got other guys like start. There's this one guy sarcastically saying like, that's the greatest movie I've ever seen. <laughs> like, And then you have this other guy coming out saying like, Oh man, I love this movie sincerely. Like this is the fifth time I've seen it. Like, and I'm, I can't even imagine going to see a razor head five times in the theater. <laughs> <laughs> I, I mean, I'm pretty extreme and I think I've seen it five times my whole life. I mean, that's exactly. And I consider myself pretty extreme. So, I mean, the level of frustration by some of these people coming out of the theater is incredible. It's priceless. So um, it's it's a great it's a great watch. But I wanted to ask yes. you, um, not really about a racer. I mean, I could I could probably use it as an example. But has there ever been a movie where you literally have no idea what's going on, and <laughs> to the point where it, it actually makes you angry like leaving the theater like what the fuck was that movie about like you're just like you know confused beyond a, a, all point i've got a couple of mine but like where have there has there ever been a time where you just have no idea what the hell you just watched? all right all right and, there's and you don't like okay it. um and i don't like it now listen don't like it. <laughs> <laughs> i listen i'm a giant david lynch fan 
Um, are mm. you are you familiar with Alejandro Jodworski? Are you familiar with him? Oh yeah, with yeah. Uh, El Topo and Holy Mountain. Have you ever seen those movies, Chris? I've seen Holy Mountain. I don't. <laughs> think I've seen... Were you upset with that movie? <laughs> no, actually. Really? I, I, it's been, the it's movie's out there, dude. It's been a while, but <laughs> <laughs> no. I mean, there. I'll, I'll just share one of mine. So I took this film class in college called like European Cinema with George DeFalusi. Um, okay. Oh yeah. And, you know, it was it was you know the, it was the only film class at our college. So, so Oh, what did you guys watch? Did you watch nine and a half? What did you watch? So we watched this foreign film. I think it was either Hungarian or Turkish or Scandinavian. I can't remember what region it was, but it was about this dude. And <laughs> I like it already. Keep going. <laughs> I like it already. He's getting dressed up and he opens the door to his house. It's snowing out. So it might've been Scandinavian and um, a sleds there or a sleigh. And it takes him to a restaurant and the entire movie is just him eating at the restaurant. Like it's at least like an eight course meal. And like, he's just chatting with people at the restaurant and then he leaves the restaurant, goes home. And I think he dies. at the end of the movie. <laughs> and I remember the lights came up and how George long was, was like, this movie? How long was this? <laughs> It was a, it was the entire period. So the entire period, I think, was like an hour and ten minutes. Oh my um, god! And I remember, so George George gets up. He's like, "So what do we think? Would you, you guys <laughs> like it?" And from the back of the audience, I just, at a very loud voice, I was like, "No, no, I didn't." <laughs> then I proceeded to tell him why, which I was like, "We just watched this guy eat." and and die and it made no sense and i was just i was so angry and i yeah so that was that's like the one the one time i can remember that I really was like just angered by being confused but he's like well each course means something i was like did it did it though <laughs> did it really so i don't know i i got what you're saying i mean there's certain things that are out there because they're groundbreaking i mean there's empire by andy warhol the longest film known to man because it's 24 hours and it's just a 24 hour shot of the empire state building. Sure. Uh, <laughs> there's, there's certain things that are made to be made, you know what I mean? To kind of break world records or, or kind of mm -hmm. show you the silliness of it all. You know what I mean? Almost like pop art in itself. Right, um, right. There's a, I remember I, I was reading through this book called uh, at my parents' house. It's called a thousand and ones, thousand and one movies to watch before you die. And you know me, I'm a kind of a giant cinephile. So I'm going through this book and just checkmarking ones that I, I've seen and then like circling ones that I've like maybe seen parts of or, you know, seen reviewed, but I really need to check out classic movies. And there, I remember there was a one movie and I watched parts of it on YouTube and you can watch it too. I believe it's called Satan Tango. <laughs> I might be pronounced Satan Tango because there's like a little accent. Yeah. I like um, it. And I believe it is Scandinavian as well. And it's a black and white movie and it's six hours and 45 minutes long. And there's just long scenes of people walking down the street and long scene. It might be the same director, Chris, uh, long scenes of people eating and just <laughs> walking through the streets and stuff. It was just, um, yeah. So they're out there, but then you know what, but uh, you bring up David Lynch, you bring up a racer head. I love, there's certain movies out there, Chris, I love showing people. Mm -hmm. 
Eraserhead is one of my favorite people movies to show people, especially people that like movies. You know what I mean? Yeah. The people that there's certain people out there that when they talk about film and cinema, they they think they kind of know it all. You know what I mean? They kind of they they like seen so much. I've seen so much, Chris, that. I know I don't know it all because I've seen movies like Satan Tango. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like I'm not like so. There's certain things I'm like. Listen, there's are movies out there that I've definitely not seen. I'll be the first to admit. But when you show someone a racer head and you kind of see their mind explode, there's something about that movie that kind of draws you in. Like there's certain ways that David Lynch shoots and films that you think you're being set up for a straight narrative. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. You think you're being set up to watch a story and then slowly the rails come off kind of like the show twin peaks. You know what I mean? You yeah. think you're watching a murder investigation. You think you're watching this drama about the small town in the Northwest America. And it's, Oh, this is really neat. And the feds are here and it's about the feds, you know, the city man coming in and talking to these small town people. And they're kind of odd. You think you get it. And then all of a sudden, you know, there's a giant walking through his bedroom in a dream and then like the wheels start coming off the show and you're like, what is going on? And so there's something about David Lynch that goes against expectations, but it's not just to do so. It's there is an internal logic that he is following a metaphoric logic. It's not just like and if you listen to interviews with him, it's not like, oh, we put it in to confuse people. Ha ha ha. It's like. He's very serious about what he's putting on the screen, and it's very deliberate. You know, even though I am a fan of avant-garde cinema, I love early Roman Polanski. I love, of course, David Lynch and Alejandro Jodorowsky. There's, there's certain fringy things. I, When I feel like I'm being taken for a ride and it's for shock value, I kind of get annoyed. I, I, there, it's hard for me to define what is art to me and what is great to me. And as I look at the picture of blue velvet on my man cave wall right here, um, what is art and what I truly hold dear. And then what I think is just kind of a filmmaker playing around. Like I'll be the first to admit, I am really not a Fellini fan at all. Um, which is kind of a hot take for me being a fan of avant-garde cinema, but I'm not a Fellini fan, but I'm a huge John Waters fan. And and the whole ethos of John Waters is to shock you. You know what I mean? Like Pink Flamingos, like me and my roommate Rob in college, we used to have a like a, a game where you would have to try to watch Pink Flamingos. We'd show different people Pink Flamingos. Oh, no. And the game was you cannot look away from the screen. You can't turn your head. You can't. You can blink and stuff, but you cannot look away. We'll pause the movie for you if you have to go pee, oh, but you God. cannot look away. And there's a couple rough to watch scenes in that movie. And if you can make it all the way through the movie, you're you're uh, you're my kind of people. But, you know, um, we used to do these things and just it's kind of torturous, but, you know, we still having fun. I don't know. So it, it's film to me is kind of like this holy thing. And, and but that's why I love movies so much is because you can have opinions about movies. Right, you can, right. you can have opinions as long as you know what you're talking about. You know what I mean? As long as you're just like, Oh, that movie sucked. Why is that? Oh, cause you know, <laughs> all right. Was it slow? Was it the pacing? Was it, you know, you didn't like the acting. Did you, you didn't like the, the writing just cause I see that, that to me kind of drives me nuts. You know what I mean? That, that annoys me too. Yeah. If you can point to something in there, like, Oh, they should have wrote the character this way, or, you know, Kylo and Ray should have ran off together. That would have been a bold choice as opposed to just something happens. And then she's in an escape pod. 
I get it. You know what I mean? Come up with a, a valid excuse why the movie exactly. sucks, but you know, I don't know. Yeah. There you go. All right. What else do you got for your number five? All right. Number five. I got a couple. Um, let's do this. Let's do this one. And I'll, I'll, I'll hit the last one uh, next week. So I am going to say this from spin magazine. Wu Tang clan, get their own street corner in New York city. Get out of here. Did you hear this? No. This just happened either today or yesterday. Um, it is the 25th anniversary of their first album. Um, and they have this four-part Showtime docuseries coming up about the Wu-Tang Clan. I think it starts Friday. Yeah. Friday or Saturday. I cannot watch. The, uh, I can't wait to watch that. And because I get Showtime because of Billions. <clears throat> can't wait. Um, And it is on the corner of... Because Chris, next time you're in New York City, you might have to. Uh, might have to go there. Yeah. So, um, the corner of Va- Vanderbilt Avenue and Targi Street was renamed Wu Tang Clan District. <laughs> nice. <laughs> yeah, and so, um, so what are your thoughts on? So, like, what's really interesting about Wu Tang Clan and me is, um, I was definitely when I was younger, I was definitely a West Coast rap guy. You know what I mean? Uh, Dre, Snoop. All of Death Row Records, all of uh, Nate Dog, all hail Nate Dog. I love Nate Dog, mm-hmm. and I was definitely a West Coast guy. And then, of course, um, you know, I got a little more into Tribe Called Quest and all those things as I got a little older. And of course, you know, I knew that I knew the hits, I knew Scenario, and I knew Bugging Out, and I knew all those big ones. But I've gotten into the albums a little more. Um, what are your thoughts and first memories of listening to the Wu Tang Clan? Oh, man. Well, here's the thing. Um, while you were, you know, a West Coast guy, I was definitely holding it down for the East Coast. Um, I was really big into, gosh, Nas, uh, Karis One. Um, mm. Trying to think, uh, who else? I uh, do love Karis One. I do love Karis One. Like so you, I mean, it, it, it was, and it, you know, obviously P Diddy, Notorious B.I.G., all those guys, mm-hmm. and. Because, I mean, I lived on the East Coast. That's how I was like, I live here. I need to be, by the way, white guy and Asian guy talking about 90s hip hop. <laughs> this is amazing. So, and you and I, you know, you growing up in, um, you know, the Middletown, Meriden area. And, and me, being down, <laughs> me being down in North Haven. I mean, we would have. North been, Haven? <laughs> what? We uh, didn't worst. you just have a post on your blog? Uh, saying that you want more cultural diversity in your <laughs> reporters and stuff. We do. We do. Because uh, here's case in point right now. Case so. in point. Yeah. So. <laughs> um, but what's your no, first memory? What's your first memory of listening to the Wu-Tang Clan? Honestly, it was it was probably 19, probably my first first or second year of high school. So freshman or sophomore year. Okay. I think it was, I, it definitely was their first album, like enter the Wu-Tang. Um, yep. And I remember listening to it with uh, a friend of mine, John Evans and Chris Ferraro in in John's basement and being like, Whoa, okay. Like yep. it, it sounded different. And mm-hmm. what I liked about it, it, it didn't sound like the West coast stuff. Cause that was, that all had its own style. They had that smooth it, style. Had that. Yeah. Like, like very R and B, like right. dog, like all that stuff. Mm-hmm. And with this, it just felt very, oh, what's the word? looking for rugged and raw thank you like here's the lyrics this is what they're saying 
not you know don't need a lot of mixing don't need a lot of sampling nope. right not a lot of crazy effects i mean i love the fact that they kind of you know mixed in like you know kung fu stuff into it but um yeah it just it just was like listen to what they're saying and i just remember being like whether it was um you know method man or Raekwon or ghostface killer or any of these guys they were just like one after the other after the other i'm like holy crap like first of all i had no idea how many of them were on this in this group oh, to begin like, with yeah yeah thirty thousand. <laughs> right yeah. it was like thirty thousand of them but um but just each one was better than the next and they all had different styles so it was just it was really really cool um just hearing all these different different things and by the time that like I mean, Wu-Tang Forever came out like at the peak of my high school experience. So like that, yep. that was like, okay. You know, I mean, there. it's weird that like when we talk about the great, the, the, the hip hop greats of all time and we talk about Tupac, we talk about Notorious B.I.G., we talk about all these guys, no one ever mentions the Wu-Tang Clan in that initial discussion. But the second that someone says, well, what about Wu-Tang? Everybody's like, holy shit, like, absolutely. And so it's, it's weird how they're, you know, how they're remembered and revered um, in the hip hop, you know, community, I guess. Yeah. I, I, yeah. I definitely remember listening to them at basketball practice. Definitely. I definitely remember kids sneaking into the music room, like right before music class playing. Uh, well, they played a couple albums. There was like in this one year. Now I might be off like a year or two, but I definitely remember music class in middle school. Uh, it was Back the Fuck Up by Onyx. <laughs> if you remember that album, <laughs> yep. it was a great album. And then um, I remember hearing Gravediggers, which is uh, one of RZA's bands, and then hearing the Wu-Tang Clan and the kid like cranking it and then getting in trouble for it and stuff like that. Um, it was definitely not your parents' music, so that was definitely the intrigue of like Wu-Tang, especially at summer camp. You know, There was no parents around, so we could play anything we want. And mm -hmm. of course, you know, you had me at Kung Fu movies, which was definitely part of my uh, uh, my lifestyle, just watching tons of Kung Fu movies and just watching, you know, Shogun Assassin when I was a kid and all this awesome stuff. So, you know, like when the, the album um, Jizz of the Genius came out, you know, I remember like wanting to go get um, or Liquid Swords. That's the name of the uh, album. But I wanted to go find out what's this movie they're sampling. What's the, what's the music they're pulling from. And if you know that album, it's all a, a giant sample from uh, Shogun assassin, which is just awesome. So um, I don't know, giant fan. I can't wait to see the series. I know a little bit about them. I've seen, you know, kind of makeshift documentaries on old D old ODB and uh, a right. couple of the individual members. And um, they had a really interesting YouTube series where they're it's Ghostface killer and the Jizza. And they're flying in space mm -hmm. and they're answering uh, questions from little kids. <laughs> uh, have you are. seen that, Chris? <laughs> no, but of course they are. Yeah, I'll, I'll like that on my things. You got to see it. It's such a trip out and I don't know. It's great. So definitely. I just, I just read this review of, um, of uh, Enter the Wu-Tang and from the ghetto communicator back. This is like from the source back in 1993. Nice. And he basically says, <clears throat> this record is harsh. But so is the world that we live in. For b boys and girls who come out, who come from the core of the land, this is the hip hop album that you've been waiting for. I mean, that that says it right there. Like it is. I mean, it's it just it. You're, it's harsh. It's a harsh, harsh record to listen to, and um, I love it. I love it. And it, well, it, was, it was, and and it just uh, that kind of time in 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 music history. You know, like I'm thinking like early '90s to mid '90s. 
there was such a diversity of music exploding into our ears. And even looking back to it, you had Pearl Jam Nirvana, Rage Against the Machine, Wu-Tang Clan, (laughs) and then Dr. Dre, and then uh, Smooth Rap, and then Dance Music, and all this stuff. And it really, um, you know, while we were on the Kessel Run, we did this thing with all the jukeboxes and the places we went, and we played nothing but 1977 music. So, you know, the year that Star Trek came out, and our Star Wars came out. And so... um, you know, and uh, yet again, another year filled with such diverse music. You know, I played like uh, Steely Dan and then I played God Save the Queen by the Sex Pistols. And then The Clash was that year. And then you just kept going. The Ramones had an album that it just kept going, 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 going. And then you had one hit wonders like Alan O'Day, Undercover Angel. Great song. I love that song. Um, but 1993, 92, 93, 94, such a crazy diverse years in music that uh, I don't think kids nowadays will understand how in, how impactful that music is to like our lifestyle mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and just, I don't know, like there was a, you know, I, I listened to the rewatchables podcast and they talked about the singles movie, right. And such the kind of main thought of the singles movie was selling out. <laughs> Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, and they talked about, they spoke about like, you know, how that's not a thing anymore. <laughs> like selling out is not a thing anymore. Like kids nowadays, like what, what does that even mean selling out? But it was just such a, like, it has this band sold out yet. Are they on the label? Oh, they're a bunch of sellouts. You know, what I mean? <laughs> you know what I mean? They're not doing it for the love of the music. And it's just something that we don't talk about anymore. And Wu-Tang embodied grassroots doing it your own self, just putting together your own kind of music style and having such a raw idea. And it's a miracle that no one's ever done this since or before. Mm-hmm. Just, you know, yep. and, and Riza, I mean, he'll talk about on this docu. I, I've seen interviews with him, how he just talked about, I just knew all these guys that were out doing it and they were great MCs and I just got them all. <laughs> And like they would ask me like, oh, am I going to take this song? And he'll take this song. And they're like, he's like, no, you'll just take one verse. Then I'll take one verse. And then he just takes one verse and we'll just put us all on the track. And and they're like, all right, man, we'll, we'll see what happens. But like even they couldn't understand like what what he was trying to go for. The producers didn't understand it. And then I think Killer Bees was their first single, you know, before the whole album. And it just right. – kind of it blossomed from there you know what i mean well, i mean and this is yeah. and they gave birth to the whole uh, that faction group so to speak you know like you had right. mob deep you had little mafia you had i mean death row tried to do their whole put oh, all right. the artists of course. on the same of course. Right. so like they all did they all kind of followed the lead that wu-tang set so um yeah i know i can't wait i love i love like hulu just in general just want to give them a shout out they do some really good music documentaries i think better than netflix does yeah to be quite honest with you i saw a great one on the eagles uh they did oh that's a great one, a great one. that's uh, a great, great one. one yeah um they did one on um the beach boys pet sounds like a deep dive into mm-hmm. the creation of that mm-hmm. record like they know how to do documentaries oh chris so, did you did you watch um the defiant ones yes the the um hbo uh, yeah the um dr dre uh, and uh dr dre and jimmy iovine jimmy, jimmy yeah. iovine yeah such a great documentary just so awesome and you better bet your ass i went through my record collection and found him on the liner notes of like born to run and all those albums that they talk about like under a blood red sky it's it's really cool to see all those things that they're talking about like just just to know that 
Dr. Dre and Jimmy Iovine definitely, definitely had a major hand in Nine Inch Nails and Trent Reznor. It's just such a weird time in music. <laughs> and there's another, <laughs> there's another, you know, example of those years in music having, you know, grunge rock, industrial metal, and then heavy metal still going on, and then Wu Tang still going on in '93, just crazy. Still the greatest concert I ever went to, uh, Wu Tang and Rage Against the Machine. Talk mm. about like you know populations coming together and different cultures. I mean, that really was, you know, you've got people that are you know obviously big huge hip hop people. You've got big you know rock people coming together, and then you've got this you know short little Asian guy and you know corduroys, um, <laughs> <laughs> being like, yeah, man. Oh, it was a weird time, but um, but yeah, no, I mean, amazing. And then we, you know, tore the the fence down in the back. So that that's was, right. So, causing havoc. Good stuff, man. I can't wait to watch that. I, actually, speaking of deep dive documentaries, um, this is not my five, but yeah. you got me on the subject. Next year, I don't know if you saw this. H, uh, ESPN has a ten part documentary about the Chicago Bulls. Get out of here. And they released the trailer like this past January, and they basically said like next year you get this and people freaked out they're like oh my god because like it's behind the scenes footage that no one's ever seen because apparently they had been filming all this stuff like secretly for years you know like actually watching like arguments you know in the locker room and like dialogue and like footage no one's ever seen before and they never made they never released it and then espn came along and said you know what? let's do it as a documentary series so i think it's like an eight to ten piece documentary about the Chicago Bulls run with Jordan and Pippen and all those guys. I can't wait. I'm oh like, my god, my that's gonna be great. <laughs> lose my mind. So, all right. So, all right. For my number five, here we go. Here we go. Um, last week we ran down Nicholas Cage's epic 2019-2020 resume. Yes, about his films coming. Yeah, that was my favorite so, part of the podcast. I had, you know, I don't <laughs> listen to our whole podcast, but I had to listen to that part. I was laughing my ass off. <laughs> so. I, I, I'm not going to do this every week. But <laughs> We're not? <laughs> I might have to. All right. Um, I went out and found – I tried to see, see who else is due. Who else has a pretty epic year coming? You know, okay. like who else is pretty big? Okay. And there's some good candidates and, you know, people that just do a lot of movies. Please and say Tori Spelling. Please say Tori Spelling. <laughs> no, no. Oh, all right. Sorry. I'll, say, I'll save that one for later. <laughs> but um, – it came down to two. Okay. And I'll save I think I'll save the other one that I'm not doing this week for some other time. Excellent. But this week I'm gonna do John Travolta. And Okay. Okay. We we you know, Travolta's got an interesting career. I mean, I'm now I've now resigned to the fact that his run of like pulp fiction and, and all that stuff that he did in the early nineties was more of an you know an anomaly than the norm for him. So like, <laughs> you know, while he does, you know, Pulp Fiction and Face Off and, you know, those are great movies, you know, he's he's probably more like the Swordfish Punisher, you know, oh, <laughs> type of. Yeah, that's the true, <laughs> co- the true colors are coming through. Yeah, true colors. Um, oh, like the movie True Colors. Oh, yeah, that's fine. <laughs> oh, shit. Yeah. I just was quoting Cindy Lauper, but I was just, <laughs> wow. All right. Anyway. So needless to say, I, I think Travolta is in this weird sp- point in his career where he's trying to make it back. And uh, it's just not going well. Like, anyway, um, like the movie um, Gotti. Did you see that movie? Oh my gosh, I did. because oh. I, I lost a bet and I had to watch oh, it. Oh no! Um, I was just gonna say I got to like maybe forty minutes. It was like on HBO or so. Oh my god, Chris! 
It's bad. You watched that whole thing? <laughs> watched the whole thing. God and bless you. I feel bad because there's I, I know a guy who's in it, and he's like, oh, man, I'm so glad. Like, I, It's such a big deal. I'm in this movie. I'm like, dude, it wasn't good. <laughs> I haven't said that to him yet, but he's probably he might be listening to this, but – yeah, no, it's he plays like one of the Well has nothing has nothing to do with the acting. No, no. Well, except for except for Kelly and John. Uh but <laughs> I mean the the kid that played Gotti's son was good. I mean uh, yeah. Yeah, it, it has its moments. Like Stacy Keach is in it, like Right. Yeah. A weird choice, but okay, like got its moments but um yeah no it's just it's not a good movie so no. I, I don't recommend it but so I'm, i know where you're going with this i just wanted to put Gotti out there but let's see all right travolta has what we got so he's got three films on the docket um in 2019 and 2020 the first is called trading paint trading paint mm. and the synopsis is he's a veteran race car driver sam monroe and his son, a fellow driver from a small town, overcome family and professional conflicts, balancing <laughs> competition, ego, resentment, and racing, and a racing nemesis to come out stronger on the other side. So they basically just describe the entire movie um, yeah. with in the synopsis. But so Travolta plays the aging um, uh, race car driver. You had and me they, at Salmon Rowe. Is his name Salmon Rowe? His name is Salmon Rowe. The the nemesis, the racing nemesis, yeah, is played by Michael Madsen. So, okay, okay. And I think his, I think someone's love interest in this movie. It might be Travolta's wife. It might be like, a, of course. Well, Ed she's Patel, in the trailer. Just, just have her like come that. out. No, no. <laughs> Give her a couple lines. Have her come out. You know. It's. It, I think I don't know who who this character is, but she's played by Shania Twain. So, okay. On the poster, John Travolta, Michael Madsen, and Shania Twain. Like that's a that's, that's an interesting. One. All right. So following that up, he's got another movie called out coming out called The Poison Rose. Oh, and it's actually it's inspired by a classic film noir, and it stars um, him as uh, no, he's so the movie is called I can't even read this. Inspired by the classic film noir in The Poison Rose, it stars Carson Phillips, an ex-football star turned P.I., who's got a soft soft spot for a lady in distress. So Travolta plays Carson Phillips and the the former ex-football star who's now a P.I. Okay. I guess Famke Jensen is the person that, um, like, you know, gets his, you know, love interest. Um, and then Morgan Freeman's in it playing something. I don't know. Um, mm. But but also mm. in this movie, this got a pretty epic cast. Brendan Fraser's in it. Um, Peter okay. Stormar, who's one of my favorite character actors ever, is in it. Uh, oh, I know him. Yeah, he's uh, cut off your Johnson, that guy, right? Robert Patrick, Terminator 2. Robert Patrick's in this movie turning up. I mean, it's a, it's a pretty interesting movie. So... There you go. And then finally, his last one is slated to come out at the end of 2019. This is, how do you say the piece this restance or whatever? Um, it's called The Fanatic. And The Fanatic is about a rabid film fan who stalks his favorite action hero and destroys okay. the star's life. And Travolta plays the stalker. Devin Sawa plays the... Um, what? Yeah. The... the <laughs> you know, action hero. Um, and the, the movie is written and directed by Fred Durst. 
Stop it. Stop it. Are you stop? All right, stop. Stop it. Did you did you Google Fred Durst and then pick Travolta? What this was completely by accident. Um, is it the Fred Durst? Have you have you looked it, it is, up? It is the it's like I'm looking at pictures right now. It is the Fred and that's Durst. the that's the Devin Sawa from like Idle Hands. From Idle Hands, like who I haven't heard since Idle Hands. And like, now, like, is there like a a like some sort of like bunker or something where these these people like hunker down and then Travolta breaks them out of his like Scientology bullpen and then they just make these movies or something? Or what's the common thread? I think well with with the fanatic, I have no idea because like I didn't no idea that like <laughs> Travolta and Fred Durst and Devin Sawa are running in the same crew. I, I mean, our bros, we're bros. I kind of want to hang out in that room just to see what it's like. But I mean, I'm <laughs> it's all you, bro. I'm running down this cast list. I can't. I don't recognize any of these people. So it's like, like you know, you're in, you you know you're in a good spot when Devin Sawa is like your main focus, and they're be they're being given like acting notes by Fred Durst. Like that's, that's amazing to me. So listen, Devin Sawa back in the day was, he was, he should, you know, he should have been, he should be still in right. the spotlight. You know what I mean? He could definitely fill in for a Jeremy Renner in a movie here and there. Dude's, dude's 41. He's not, he's not, you know, no, not at all. He was definitely our age. And he, um, I mean, he had a run of SLC punk. Yeah. Great movie. Uh, uh, Final Destination, of course, mm-hmm. the star of that movie. That was a huge movie. You know what I mean? For like an independent kind of horror movie. That was a huge freaking movie. And then, yeah, Idle Hands was a great cla- cult classic underground kind of thing and just gone. Mm-hmm. So I, I, I've always been curious about him. I mean, I've seen him here and there, but that's about it. I mean, the same thing happened with Jeremy Renner. You know what I mean? He right. was kind of the same kind of arc. He was... In National Lampoon's Senior Trip, great flick, flick. which we used to watch way, way, way too much. Um, And then kind of dropped off the face of the earth until he was in that independent movie about Jeffrey Dahmer. And he was just awesome. And then just kind of came back into our our worlds with definitely his part in the town, which Renner in the town is just amazing. So he's acting his ass off in that movie. So Absolutely. Yeah, no, it's, it's, I mean... Again, we're, we're Travolta's in this interesting point in his career where I mean, he seems like he's saying yes to everything, and, and if he's not, like, what is he turning down? Like, that's what I want to know. <laughs> like, right? Well, maybe what he's I turning mean, down is going to Nicolas Cage. Who knows? Well, that's what I was just thinking. Like, I mean, we talk about the Cage raging. You know what I mean? And and taking anything that he wants, but maybe he says things like, you know what? I'll do your movie, but make it a little crazier. You know what I mean? Maybe he says that and you got to respect that. You know what I mean? Maybe, Hey man, maybe this guy has a robot hand. You ever think of that? Like, or, you know, something like that. And then he just, I'll do it. I don't know. So just there's, you know, Chris, I, I came up with a rating system a long time ago, right? With uh, cheesy movies, right? I always thought of cheesy movies as negative fours. Like if you, you can sit down and watch, you know, um, one of my cheesy classic movies like the wizard of gore or, you know what I mean? Rawhead Rex or, you know, death wish three or Ninja Hunter. Or one of these movies that are, you know, they have major issues with them, but you're laughing the whole time. You have a bunch of people over, you have a blast negative four. Then there's positive fours. You know what I mean? Like great films, you know, like 
touch right, of evil right. and you know um cool hand luke and you know plus plus fours but the movies in the middle the zeros they're not cheesy enough to laugh at they're not good enough to be fours you know just kind of sit there and you know there i guess there's filming done but I don't know. And that's what that Gotti movie was to me. It was definitely a zero. Cut recalled. That's what I call oh, it. Like, it wasn't bad enough to watch and it wasn't good enough to watch. And I had to turn it off. <laughs> Amazing. Oh my gosh. Well, that was my number five. So that was great, um, man. Great run. Good stuff. Good stuff. All right. Let's go YouTube and folks. Let's YouTube go YouTube. In. All right. I only got one this week, um, but it was a pretty good one. Um, there is a guy. Hold on for a second. Okay. So. His his name is Good Mythical More. That's all it is. That's his name. Okay. And what he did, he did a great video. It's about eight minutes long, where he literally goes to every chain restaurant that has salads you can think of. He goes to Chili's, he goes to Fridays, he goes to Outback, Applebee's, and all he does is eat their croutons and compares them. <laughs> Like, mm, this crouton has a little more crispiness. This crouton has some kick. Um, it's it. it's a great video. So for, the, <laughs> for those of you who are salad enthusiasts or just like to watch somebody like literally just review the most non-reviewable thing you can in a restaurant, like the croutons, <laughs> it's an actually great – and he breaks it down though. Like he talks about like, oh, wow, like after I eat this crouton, I'm getting this type of t- flavor taste and like – I like this, like this crouton is a little softer than the other one. And stuff. I mean, it's brilliant. It's freaking brilliant. So, you know what? I, I, I do appreciate a really good crouton. I really, so really do, I. do. And cause I love Caesar salads, you know what I mean? And that's pretty much oh, yeah. what you're there for. And a good crou- crouton will just make or bla- break your Caesar salad. So I can get behind <laughs> this. I can't wait to watch it. Can, What's his name again? Definitely. What's his name? So it's, it's called um, good. Hold on. I'll pull it up right now. It's called good mythical more. All right. And um, let me see if I can hold on for a second. Let me see if he has other videos. Uh, <laughs> I hope not. <laughs> hold on. Hold on. Where he like? I hope he. Okay, hold on. Good mythical more. Um, Is there a playlist? A crouton hold playlist? Hold <clears throat> I'm trying to see my my internet's being slow. Here. Oh, um, the crouton channel. It's breaking you down. It's breaking. Well, I gotta down. test that out. I, I really have to watch that. I can't wait. Definitely get definitely give it a look. Uh okay. it's, it's fantastic. It's definitely worth it. Excellent. Um are you ready for me? Go for it. All right, cool. Um I sent you a video early on last week, I believe, and it was the um the alien show from North Bergen, New Jersey High School, 4K. Yes. Did you watch the, did you watch a little bit of that? I, I mean I've already seen a lot of their videos already. Oh. Um and uh yeah, this I I definitely gave it a little bit of a look. So yeah. Yeah, I mean, I, I, you know, we talked about this on the, I think it was the first podcast we did, and I just never saw the whole thing. It popped up on my feed. Like, I saw clips of it, but I never saw the whole thing. This is the full play, hour 27. These kids are just acting their asses off. It looks great. It sounds great. And I know we talked about the whole spiel about copyright infringement and everything, but I don't know, man. You could tell the audience is entertained and these guys just did such a great job and just the staging is great. And, you know, that's one of the hardest parts of directing a show and staging a show is, you know, of course, we've done spaghetti charts and all that stuff, Chris, where you're like, all right, how much action is in in this part of the stage and how much action is over here? And, you know, audience members, they read um, 
left to right like they do a book. So we we want the main action coming over here. And I thought the staging was great. I thought they used the whole stage. I, I thought, you know, your main action was in the middle, but just, I don't know. It yeah. was awesome. I mean, if you go, if you watch the video <clears throat> and with the, with the context that this was all approved, it's all, you know, they got permission to do all this stuff and blah, blah, blah. And then you could just sit back and watch it and enjoy the passion and the creativity and the effort that these kids are putting into it. That was really commendable. Honestly, yeah. like I had no issue. My issues with this whole thing were not, had nothing to do with the kids whatsoever. They were, they were told by their high school director, Hey, we're going to do freaking alien this year as a play. Oh. Um, never been, I mean, technically it was done on Bob's burgers, but you know, it's right. never really been done before. Um, and the kids got behind it. So that's awesome. On the flip side, it's like, you know, you can't technically do that um, because there's things like copyright and stuff like that. But I am glad to see that. And I, I made this very clear on the all the columns I wrote about it was that, you know, as long as Disney's okay with this, like as long as Disney, I don't think Disney's going to sue a high school and stuff right. like that. Um, <clears throat> well, so, they might have to do a cease and desist because you don't want this to happen everywhere, I guess. Well, that's and that's the problem now because since this happened, I've heard from at least a dozen high school educators that have told me that their kids are begging them to do movie adaptations, of course. Um, oh my god, the so now it's, would open the flood because they saw how viral this thing could become. They all want to do their own thing now. And this actually two years ago, not this past year, but the year before, one high school tried to do a, a high school version of the Breakfast Club and that got shut down in a heartbeat. Mm -hmm. So I, you know, for any high school educator, for all these high schools educators, I would I've I've been cautioning them and I will continue to caution them. I I think it's great. I think whatever gets kids interested in live theater is awesome. Um at the same time, like you got to go through the, the proper channels because you don't want to put your school or theater at risk of anything. And, um, you know, it's now extending beyond the world of film. And now people are trying to do like licensed material like Hamilton and of course things like that, you know, without paying for rights and stuff like that. So it's it's becoming a little bit of a mess. Um, and I'm I'm just hoping that, again, I don't want to squash creativity. I don't want to squash, you know, kids getting involved in theater because I think it's awesome. That's how I got involved in theater. I, I got involved in, in high school theater because of a play or musical that I grew up watching the movie of. It was The Sound of Music. So that was the reason why I wanted to do this, you know, musical because I saw that movie so many times. So I get it. You know, I get how, you know, people can get excited about that stuff. But it's got to be within reason, you know. It's like, yeah. you know, I, I hate, I hate that, you know, nothing, everything is not, you know, free and stuff like that. But, you know, at the same time, if if people are going to steal from, you know, if someone's going to do Die Hard the play next year, which you know someone's going to try to do. <laughs> now they are. Um, <laughs> now they are. Damn it. Um, you know, someone's going to try to do unlicensed theatrical material that hasn't been released yet, like the waitresses of the world or the Dear Evan Hansen. Of course, of course, like of course. So, or the Hamiltons you know, of the just, world. And the reason why that yeah. play or the musical is so revered is because you have to go to the source or go to a touring company. Right, right, right. So I just, you know, and 90% of, of, of theater teachers understand that. And it's the ones that don't. And I've, I actually wrote emails back and forth with the director at North Bergen High School and well did you tell me he, did you say that he wasn't 
the theater director there they didn't have a theater no, he's, director. An, he's an english teacher, english teacher. he's an okay. english so, they, don't, you know, they don't actually right. have yeah so they don't have a theater department right. at north bergen high school it's a theater club that does all of this and he's this guy and then one of the art teachers um does all the costuming and the design of this and then one of the music teachers does all the music for all the musicals so it's not like they don't have a dedicated theater staff there and so I get that. I understand like whatever they can do to get kids interested right. in theater is a good thing. So that's awesome. But um, I remember emailing this guy and I said, look, I understand that you don't understand how theatrical rights and all this stuff perhaps works because you're not from that industry, but you understand what plagiarism right is, right? <laughs> like, and he's like, yeah, I was like, so you told everybody that what you did was you watched Aliens and you literally copied the script word for word and then created an adaptation based off the script that you watched on the film he's like yeah i was like so that's plagiarism he's like and he never he never responded to that so right um, and it's not like you know i mean that's true i mean and um chris did you end up watching any of those little short films about alien that they did i did i watched the i watched the one that you sent me i haven't seen wasn't any more I, wasn't that great wasn't that great it's great and so you know what he could have easily done that you know based on the story from the movie alien and then mm -hmm. put that on and that would be a different discussion, even if he didn't completely different discussion. Yeah, yeah. Even if he didn't get the rights and he just put that on, and it was a kind of a different story, but it just took place in that world. Now you're talking; it gets a little hazier, and you're a little more okay. You know what I mean? Yeah. You're, you're, you're just you took the idea and tweaked it a little. You I mean, know one, I mean? one 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 uh, really really ingenious um, high school did a sequel to Hamilton. Like they actually looked wow. up what happened to Eliza or Eliza. Yeah, that's what I meant. Eliza yep. after Hamilton died and they actually wrote original music. They wrote original, you know, script. now you're talking, now and you're talking. That's, that's cool. Like, and that's, that's really not, cool. And that's an yeah. original idea. And that's awesome. Right. So to high schools, to colleges, do things like that, do original work. I mean, if you want to base it on, you know, a creative property and things like that. Okay, fine. But like, make it your own. Like, don't try to like steal or copy and stuff like that. It's just not, it's not worth it. Really. Right. Or take it or take an idea and then flip it. You know what I mean? One thing that I always talk about in creative writing is when you have an idea for something creative, it's about, you have this thought, this idea, and then you're going to channel it into writing or into a movie or into a song, right? Why don't you take an idea that is a movie and turn it into a musical, just like evil dead, the musical, you know what I mean? That my friend Nick Bussey has seen a billion zillion times and he loves mm -hmm. it so much. I mean, that's when you're talking about something different. Can we have the rights to the name? Yes. And the character and the look? Yes. We're going to do something totally different. We ain't taking one line from the whole thing except for groovy. <laughs> and we're going to make some music about it. And I guarantee, you know, whoever's the creative head or the studio will say, thousand just take it and you know what i mean give us a kickback or whatever the then you're talking about a deal or or some something going on and it, that, yeah. it just takes that little extra effort to if he took it the the story and changed all the dialogue and i mean he's an english teacher you know what i mean like do right. your job i don't know like there's a there's a playwright in, in i just posted a review of this there was a production going on in toronto of antigone a show that you and i have mm -hmm. both been in and the guy took it and redeveloped it and set it during like the Tiananmen square, like, you know, revolution in China. Excellent. And it's Excellent. freaking, it's totally. fascinating. So like do stuff like that. Like, you know, it, again, like just be creative, be original, don't steal someone else's work and then, you know, try to pass it off as your own and all that bullshit. So 
Yeah. I mean, to the kids of North Bergen, though, I think it was awesome for them to get through that. Um, I thought it was really cool that one of the schools, uh, New York uh, Dramatic Conservatory, actually offered them all $10,000 scholarships to come to their school uh, to get acting degrees, um, which I thought was That's great. pretty cool um, as well. Sigourney Weaver actually went to the performance, which was like, oh, get you know, out of here. Get out of here. Kids backstage. Like, I mean, that's, again, the, those experiences, amazing. And it's only, it sucks that it's kind of, in my eyes, like, it sucks because it's just a little tainted in my eyes. A little, a little tainted. tainted yeah. But, I mean, if, it, but like, think of that. If he took that extra effort, made it based on Alien, mm-hmm. right? Changed the dialogue, changed the kind of pacing, just flipped a couple scenes here and there. We're having a totally, totally different, different discussion, discussion about how this guy is a genius and he's taking something that these kids loved and flipped it and he loves and flipped it and made it. Exactly. You know what I mean? Exactly. Give this like guy that. every award exactly. imaginable and blah, blah, blah. But like, yeah, no, it's just, it's an awkward situation. Now what's interesting is you're starting to see a lot more publications um, starting to come out against it and they're not being as, you know, cordial as, as I have been. So um, yeah, right. we'll see where this goes. We'll, and you know, again, you know, now that we're at the end of the school year, we'll see what happens next year. You know, I'm sure we're going to see a lot of this next year. So um, we'll yep. see. Good stuff, man. Anything else you want to, uh, any other YouTube? Yeah. Um, I know that was a big one, uh, but I have a bunch more, but I want to just get to the meat and potatoes because uh, uh, I want to get to a pretty big story. Um, it's the um, induction speech for the cure into the rock and roll of fame, rock and roll hall of fame by Trent Reznor. Nice. Really awesome. Great speech. Um, nothing like a speech coming from someone that you're familiar with their music. And you can tell that Reznor is a giant Cure fan, like giant. You can see the influences of mood and tone in their writing, and he just knows everything about this band. Um, I thought it was a great speech. Then the Cure came out and played, and Robert Smith sounds great. The band sounds great. It was awesome. Um, but one thing, I watched the whole Rock and Roll Hall of Fame, but one thing that I thought was just a waste is they inducted Radiohead. Yeah. Um, a fantastic band. band. David Byrne did the speech, a great speech by David Byrne, uh, not as complex as Trent Reznor, but still you could tell that David Byrne loved um, Radiohead and is a big fan. He said it himself, but, and, and spoke more about how they really started the kind of fad of releasing their album on the internet and how do we release our music to our yep. fans and spoke a little bit about that. But um not one song played by Radiohead, uh, either by the band or anyone. You literally have a, a, a hall full of musicians, and not one of them could break out four chords to play the song "Creep." <laughs> um, literally, I mean, I'm not a guitar virtuoso, you know, virtuoso, but it's literally four chords. We couldn't hand David Byrne a guitar and just say, "Here, do Creep," or. I, I just well that might have been we got, that might have been Tom York's I don't thing. know like that might have been it might he been. wasn't there right like he yeah you know, he didn't show up and no um, right I wait think, no I thought he did was he there was I can't remember someone wasn't there though like they, I don't I don't I don't think the entire band was there um, okay I don't know I got I got to go back and reread it but right. I think I think with some of these artists and some of these musicians that you induct I think you you roll the dice sometimes on whether or how, how much 
celebration will there be? I mean, for some of these bands, you know, it's their first time seeing each other sometimes in 20, 30 years. And it's kind of awkward that like, you know, a lot of those wounds you know, probably still run deep and things like that. I mean, I think, I think it was, uh, I think Van Halen or something like that, like had some issues backstage literally right before they walked on to accept their awards. So um, yeah, no, it's just, it's, it's an awkward thing when you, you basically want, let me just put it this way. You want everybody to come on stage and be like, oh my God, great honor. And now let's play. But I mean, I think for, you know. Right. I, I know. And Tom York wasn't there. You're right. I remember I wrote, read the story. I, I thought I saw him, but he was not there. And then, um, but you could still have other artists play the music. And sure. that's something that's yeah. very popular. I mean, I, I think I talked about this, how like a couple of years ago was ELO played and they were honoring Chuck Berry, who just recently passed away. And of course, um, Jeff Lynn played rock and roll, uh, roll over Beethoven by Chuck Berry, which they already do a cover of. And it was just so epic. The guy can wail on guitar. He's a freaking Wilbury, as they say on billions. And he oh, is yeah. just, you know, awesome. Love it. Love it. Speaking of which, another great episode by billions, by the way, this past week. So, uh, an epic showdown between dollar bill and Mafee. <laughs> dollar bill. <laughs> that was so great. Uh, now they're playing patty cake or something in the middle of the ring. <laughs> Double loss. I love that that one guy won. It's like, like, yes. Yeah, the nerdy guy. I got it. And that's by the way, that's Will Roll. I'm friends with that guy. Uh, Will Roland. Uh he's a Broadway actor. And, Get out of uh, here. He was awesome. Yeah. He's awesome. And then I just sent a friend request to the guy who plays Dollar Bill because he's about to do a show in New York too. So I'm like Love me some Dollar there. Bill. Love me love some me. wags. I love the whole cast, man. <laughs> whole cast is great. I love how like last week, you know, the confrontation between Dollar Bill and Mafee. Like Dollar Bill was like, hey, man, what the heck? And he like goes up to him, but he doesn't punch him. He just kind of shoulder nudges him. And then you instantly realize, oh, yeah, all of these people, all these traders, they're nerds. They're not athletic whatsoever. <laughs> Fighters. <laughs> and they just ran with that joke through this whole episode. It was and the like tra- the training montages were great. By the oh, way. my God. I was laughing so hard. And like the UFC and boxing trainers, they'd look at each other and shake their heads. No, <laughs> they'd hand them the smaller weight. Oh, my God. It was so great. I got to watch Mafi's, uh, the guy who plays Mafi. I got to watch his stand up because he's, he's a stand up comic. So oh, I didn't know that. Yeah, he's a stand up comic by trade. So um, I got I to gotta find his stuff. Like, that's what he does like, when he's not on billions. Like, he's like flying all over the country to just do gigs and stuff like that. So, got to oh, check great. out his stuff. That's great. Awesome, man. All right. Anything else you want to plug or promote or anything else going on? Um, actually, me and the band, we might have a gig coming up. I know we just Whoa. recently started jamming again, but. Uh, we might be playing the boxing hall hall of fame. Speaking what? of Mephi versus dollar bill, we might be playing the boxing hall of fame. So here in Canastota, if you're not from the area, there's this little place called Graziano's and it's a very kind of uh, famous bar that the uh, couple of the events are played at. And we might be playing both nights of it. Um, don't know wow. if we have enough material, but we're going to find out in a month. Um, so, no, but we're going to go out and we're going to have a blast. And uh, we're the Little Blue Castle Band. We're going to be playing the Boxing Hall of Fame Induction Weekend. Um, I don't know if they've really announced the full card yet, but they always have some great boxers show up and um, some great inductees. Uh, when I used to film commercials for them, I met like... Carmen Basilio and uh, wow. Buster Douglas and get out of here. That's oh awesome. yeah. And Ron Lyle and um, uh, 
uh, is it Layla Ali is Ali's daughter yep. and Ali's daughter. Yeah. And uh, all the, I met H- Hector Camacho, Hector Macho Camacho. Love that. Macho man. Camacho. Oh yeah. Yes. I met, I met all these people, got to shake their hand. And of course, uh, I don't know. So um, we'll That's see. Awesome. It's going to be kind of an awesome event. I think we're playing. Um, I think it's the banquet of champions. So we'll just be playing in the background while people are just, you know, filing oh, in. The, I you think. got the house band stuff. That's awesome. Yeah. We're doing house band stuff. So we're just kind of looking for some background <laughs> kind of, uh, you know, quick covers, quick classic rock and oldie stuff. So, but we'll be there. We'll be at the boxing hall of fame. Get like, get like some smooth jazz in there. Like, oh man, that's gonna be awesome. I can't, that's awesome. Um, what was I going to say? Oh, <laughs> did I distract the, you? Sorry. <laughs> yeah, you did. So that's, wait, what's the name of your band again? The little blue castle band. Now, do you guys do like a Wu-Tang thing where like everybody gets a verse? Uh, or like of course. Pass around the mic? Of course. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Right. And we talk about how, you know, life and life and times are hard <laughs> in the central New York. Yeah. Oh, man. You should. I mean, honestly, like just throw some Wu-Tang in there in your set. That'll we have done that. Up. We, um, you know, so the key, I think, what is it? Is it, is it G and C? I think we do G and C or G and E minor. Uh, really good hip hop. Uh, chords to just repeat over and over again. I think we did today was a good day, nothing but Ooh, a G nice. thing, and then we did jump around for a little bit too, which is always a fun thing to throw around. But if we're gonna fill uh, three hours each night, we might have to we might have to do that, Chris. So <laughs> just do the entire album. Why not? Why oh, not? okay. All oh right. my god, <laughs> I love it. All right, folks. Well, that's that's gonna do it for us. Um, you can find this podcast and all of our podcasts on the Onstage Blog Network. On, on stageblog.com also you can f- follow us on twitter facebook the whole nine yards just search desperately seeking entertainment you'll find it all um and we'll see you right here next week folks but ben thank you so much man thanks man have a good week everyone let's keep nerding out this year we had a good nerdy year so far love it love it we'll see you at episode 11 next week folks have a good one see ya.